Right, if you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John, and we will be continuing in the Gospel. We'll be looking at chapter 8, verses 21 through 30 this morning. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there, or if you don't, we'll have it on the screen as well. And so uh, our passage here comes right out of the context of our verses from last week where we saw Jesus, he powerfully declared that he is the light of the world. So, with those words, the Pharisees, you know, they came and heard him say that, and they hear him, and then they challenge him as well. They challenge his claim that he makes there that he is the light of the world. Well, let's test him on this. You think that's True, well, your testimony is only one testimony. And so Jesus, he goes on, as we saw in the previous verses here, in verses 12 through 20, to defend his claim. And that claim that he was defending then, he is now continuing to defend in our verses this morning as well, in verses 21 through 30. So may God bless the reading of his authoritative word. So he said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. And so the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, Where I'm going, you cannot come? And he said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So they said to Him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But He who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from Him. And they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. And so Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Amen. Now, as you look at Jesus' words here, if you were, you know, to kind of casually read over them, you might miss just how serious they are. How sobering that his words here are meant to be. So they are truthful words, they are bold words, and they are gracious words, all rolled up into one. And so here then is when we, where we come to our first point then this morning, and the point that this is his warning, his warning, verses 21 through 24. So his words here, they have dreadful consequences if they are just cast aside. Now it may be that you read these words and you think, 
you know what? You know why he's he's just repeating himself. You know, I think he said these words before. You know, and you'd be partially right. Uh, he had said similar words uh, to these back in chapter seven, verses thirty-three through thirty-four. So he is he is doing that, but he's also doing more than that as well. And here, we may be tempted to, to just think here that you know I've heard this before. I've heard something like this before. I got this. Move on, next passage. But we don't need to do that. Instead, this gets at the importance of repetition in Scripture. There are many passages in Scripture that remind, that repeat commands, and that call you to remember. And sometimes... They do that again and again from multiple angles. See this and see from this angle. Then I want you to see it from this angle. And I want you to see it again in this way as well. So why do they do that? Why do they have this repetition again and again? Well, one reason we see for why passages do that in Scripture is because we need that. (laughs) We need that. Why? Well, we forget. We forget, and this is part of why all of us need the preaching of the Word of God week by week, Sunday after Sunday. We need God's Word, and we need to hear it again. You may have read your Bible a hundred times, but you need to read it again. You need to hear it again. You need to have it taught to you again. We need it again and again before us. And we also need people as well in our lives who are doing the same thing, who are reminding us of God's word again and again. So let me give you one example of this where we see this kind of call to not forget and continually don't forget, don't forget. And I don't have to show you repetition in Scripture because it's everywhere in Scripture, but this is the, the thrust behind this. And so the example here is from Deuteronomy. And so Deuteronomy, God, he says it again and again. And so he says, don't forget. So Deuteronomy 4.9, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's Children. Deuteronomy 4.23 Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which He made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. So forgetting could mean you begin making idols of things around you. Deuteronomy 8.11 Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today. So we see evidence, or the very evidently in Scripture, this call to not forget. And you could even just see how that's practically in our lives from day to day as well. I mean, we have planners, right? We have 
calendars, things that are trying to help us to remember, to remind us of things. We have reminders on our phones. We have to-do lists. We have stick-it notes and so on in part because if we do not do those things, what do we do? We forget. (laughs) And we de-emphasize things that we shouldn't be de-emphasizing. We lay aside things that we shouldn't lay aside, things that we shouldn't forget. And we could even just look at all the things we celebrate and graduation and, you know, uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter. Don't forget. Don't forget to be thankful. Don't forget the incarnation. Don't forget the resurrection. Remember. Remember, remember. And so we have whole segments of our lives that are intent upon not forgetting and reminding us. So we do that anyway, right? We are doing this all the time, but then when we come to scriptures that repeat, we're like, ah, I think I got this one. Move on, you know. We need to ask, why is it doing that? And so when you come across repetition in scripture, it's there Because it is important. So little reminder dings, kind of like you have on your phone, should go off in our heads saying, when we come across something familiar, repetitious, pay attention. (laughs) This is important. And so when we see it, those dings should go off. Hence come Jesus' sober words here and his warning, and so also our dings should be going off. Pay attention. And the first part of his warning that he's giving here is that there will be no other. There will be no other. So Jesus, he will go away. The cross is coming. That is his death. His burial, his resurrection and ascension. And when he goes away, back to the Father, what they will do, Pharisees, Jews, what they will do is they will seek him. Now, what does that mean in this verse? So, is that saying here that, uh, you know, they're going to seek after Jesus, after all of that, for salvation, but by then it's too late? That they won't be received at that point? No. So that's that's not what this is kind of emphasizing here. What he is saying is that they will what they will continue to do is they will continue to look for the Messiah. But the problem with that is the one that they are seeking after, the Messiah, is Jesus. So he is the Messiah. They're seeking after. And so they will seek after him once he's gone away. And they will continue their search, looking under this rock and under that one. Yet no Messiah will come because he has already come. So it's, it's a vain seeking. There will be no other. And some of you might still be waiting as well. It may be that you think that there will be some Savior to come. 
someone, maybe not even, you haven't even considered Messiah, Christ, but you're just hoping in someone that will come and relieve you of all this stuff in you. This guilt, this darkness, this struggle, this loneliness, whatever it is, hopefully someone will come and make all this better for me. You're doing all that while there will be no other. While you are missing the only Savior who has come. And so the call for you is to go to the only Savior today. Jesus Christ. However, I think that this may also take another form as well. It may mean you really mean that Jesus is your Savior, yet you live like your hope is really bound up in someone or something else that this world might produce or might give you. So it may be some leader that you're hoping will arise. You're staking all your hopes on this election. You're waiting perhaps for maybe another Billy Graham will come along or some other you know, great leader, speaker, preacher, and a great awakening will happen. Perhaps I'm waiting on that person to come and then everything will be great again. You're hoping perhaps in the day when, as many have said, they're hoping for the day when prayer will someday be back in school or in schools. Or perhaps on a more personal level, you're hoping for a companion to come and to relieve your struggles and loneliness or whatever it is. With each one of these, or whatever yours may be, you need to hear, they will not be enough. It isn't any one of them upon which the Father has set his seal. Friends, the Savior has come. It is always Him we need above anybody, anyone else. We need Jesus Christ. So you can go on your search and I can tell you right now that you will not find what your soul really needs from any of those things. What you need and what our world needs, what your lost family member needs, what your friend needs, what your neighbor really needs is Christ. There is no other Period. You don't need Billy Graham. You need Jesus. You don't need this next president. You need Jesus. You don't need me. You don't need your spouse, your children. You need Jesus. So all this leads us then to see here the second part of his warning. That the world is no hope as well. The world is no hope as well. So in verse 23 here, Jesus says that he is from above and that they are of this world. So Jesus, he came down for us. And that's why we have the Gospels. That's why we have this church. 
So he came down. He came down to give what the world cannot give, cannot produce, cannot make. It's only him. Now what can the world not give? They can't give you God. And that's a problem. He can't give you the very thing you were made for. You were made for God and the world cannot give you God. And so Jesus came to give us God that we would know him. We need God and we need that. We need to know him and we need revelation from above. He came down revealing to us God and the way to God. And this is part of the problem that we have as Christians. We are relying far too much on a world that has no revelation to give. It's tried. It really has. It has tried. But we see it certainly has not succeeded. It has tried to reach God with its reason, enlightenment, and so on. Maybe I can get there from my brain. I can get the capital T truth with my my own knowledge and logic and all these things. Well, they, they found out, well, wait a minute. No, we can't get there. And then they thought, well, maybe postmodernism will get past the reasoning side and to say, let's create meaning for ourselves. And again, no revelation. And this has led them and where we are now in our world, the people simply throwing up their hands and saying, every man for themselves. Let's do what's right in our own eyes. No revelation from God. Not possible. So we'll just do it anything we want. Let me say to all that, that's where the world is. That's where they progressed. And that's where we are in America. That's why you're seeing all these people creating their own identities and so on. Let me just say we don't have to do that. We don't have to guess at truth. We don't have to try to reason our way to God. We don't have to create meaning for ourselves. Why? Because God has spoken. Amen. He has told us, capital T truth. The elephant spoke. Now what in the world do I mean by that? Well... You may have heard of the analogy of the six blind men and the elephant, you know. And, uh, people, you know, they often use this to try, to try to say that there really is no way that we can possibly know truth. There's no way that really we can say any one particular religion is true. It's all kind of, you know, pluralistic and you never really know relativistic, all from perspective. And so let me tell you this analogy here and so it goes something like this so six blind men one blind man he grabs the tusk of the elephant and he says how smooth an elephant is like a wall trying to know what this thing is and so the second touches the trunk of the elephant how round an elephant is like a snake 
The third touches the tusk of the elephant. How sharp! An elephant is like a spear. And the fourth touches the leg. How tall! An elephant is like a tree. And the fifth touches the ear and says, How wide! An elephant is like a fan. And the last man touches the tail. How thin! An elephant is like a rope. Now that's the analogy. We're like we're the blind ones reaching in the dark. We don't know really what we're grabbing for is the idea there. Now, as great of a challenge that that analogy may seem to be posing for us, we need to see that it drastically changes. This isn't mine. I've heard it from another pastor, but it drastically changes if what? If the elephant speaks. If he comes and tells us who he is, tells us what he is, tells us what he is about, well, God has spoken. He has told us. We need not wonder about wondering and grabbing about wondering for truth and wondering, maybe I can figure this out. That's what the world has done. They're wondering about blind But the elephant has spoken. God has spoken. So we need not go about wondering because he has told us who he is. And this is what the world cannot give you. And this is why it is vain to build your life on the ways of the world. Sure, it can get some things right, and it gets some things right, but that's despite the world, not because of the world. That is common grace. So as you go to college, as you watch the news, as you read all variety of books that have all kinds of the things to say that come before you, as you watch things on television, or whatever you watch, or wherever you watch it, God's word comes and it stands always over it. Jesus is not from this world. He is from above and he is above all. Amen. Third, then we have this next part of his warning. And this is where it gets especially fearful is the fearful end of unbelief. You will die in your sins. The fearful end of unbelief. You will die in your sins. That's right. And this is where this warning becomes the most serious and sobering. Unbelief is deadly. It's never okay. It's always wrong, and it's always sinful, and it always will separate you from God outside of Christ. And so three times here, Jesus, he says it. He says, I am going away, in verse 21, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. That's one, and two, verse 24, I told you that you, will, you would die in your sins. That's the second time. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's three. And this 
is what rejecting Jesus, looking to any other Savior, hoping in the world and what it could give you, will give you. Dead. Die in your sins. Separation from God forever. And you know, you know, listen, you intuitively know that you're broken. You know, you you know that this this world is broken. You know it is a mess. You know you are a mess. You know all this stuff in you that something is is out of sorts. That no matter what the world has kind of put before you, you found that really that doesn't quite get you what you really need. So you intuitively know something is terribly, terribly, terribly wrong. Well, God, He sent His Son to save you in the midst of all of that. He came that you may no longer be lost, but found, no longer separated. But you can know this very day, God Himself Through Jesus. He came so that you could know God. Not in theory, but truly through Himself. So, seek Jesus now. This is His call for you. This is His warning for them and for you. For unless you Believe that I am He. You will die in your sins. So hear Jesus here. Hear the urgency of His warning. You know, if you if you had cancer and you were told, you know what, we have found the cure for cancer, you wouldn't say, Oh, wait, you know, that's quite all right. You know, I'll just wait a little bit longer. I'll just kind of see how it goes, see if I get better on my own, you know, and See how things go from here on? You know, let's take my time and get to it when I get to it. No. You would, you would seek it out and you would seek it out then and there. Give it to me. I want that cure now. Give it. I don't want this cancer any longer. Give me the cure. And if you were told that you have this massive debt that you owe, that insurmountable mountain that you have accumulated that it could be forgiven right then and there. In the same way, you wouldn't say, oh, no, 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 I like to have debts. You know, I like to accumulate debt. Let me just accumulate, you know, keep accumulating. I don't want it forgiven. No, you, you would say, give that to me now. Let all my debts be forgiven now. You wouldn't wait. You would seek it out. And so don't wait. Don't seek after another Savior, don't seek a future hope from the world that the world can't give. Don't wait for our nation to recover. Seek Jesus now. Amen. So as he says all this, he gives us this warning, gives them this warning. Of course, surprise. They don't understand Jesus. I say surprise because if you've been following along with the Gospel of John, this is continually something that happens again and again. You're just like, what? You know, I don't understand what you're saying, Jesus. You know, they don't get it. So that's not—it's not really surprising they don't get it here. It's 
It is very um, sad here, but they don't understand him, and they wonder if perhaps what he's saying here, maybe he's, maybe he's going to try to kill himself. Is that what he's saying? You know, we can't go where he's going? So maybe he's just going to you know, take a sword or jump off a cliff or something and kill himself, which is, which is rather ironic you know, because he, he wouldn't kill himself. He doesn't do that, but he would freely do what? He would freely lay down his life for us. So there is a kind of ironic aspect to what they're saying here. He would indeed come and lay down his life for us, which is what we see Jesus even says and what follows. So following Jesus' statement there in verse 24, they ask him then who he is. And so here then we come to the second kind of point this morning to we saw his warning and now here next we have his identity. His identity. So verse 24b through 31. So we have again here a note of repetition. And hopefully a ding is going off now that we've talked about that. Ding in your, you know, like your phone, ding. Repetition, and that's, it's important. So we've seen some things that he said before, and so we don't hear that and say, okay, Jesus, I got it, move on. We say, okay, I know it matters here immensely who Jesus is, his identity, which John has set before us again and again. So that means this is very, very important that you know who Jesus is. And so we come to his identity, but here we need to see kind of where this question is coming from. Who are you? So Jesus, he uses a phrase there at the end of verse 24, for unless you believe that I am he, that phrase right there, he'll use it again in verse 28 as well. So he uses that phrase, I am he, which is kind of foreshadowing eight, chapter 8, verse 58. We're not there yet. You can look at it, but we'll get there soon. So he's foreshadowing that, and he is making a direct or indirect allusion to Isaiah 43, verses 11 through 13. So what does God say there? God, he says this, he says, I am the Lord. Besides me, there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also henceforth, I am He. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work and who can turn it back. That's a big, it's a big deal then what Jesus is saying. He's saying, yeah, that I am he back there, that's me. I, he's saying, he's associating himself with God himself, saying he is God himself. Amen. So he is in effect aligning himself with the Lord in Isaiah 43. And this is why they kind of have this double take moment here in this passage wait a minute, did he just say what I think we heard him say? And so someone is like, like they're all looking around like at each other like, I don't know, man, did he say that? I think he might have. He might have been, maybe been pointing to that. And so then they ask, well, who are you? 
And so to this, Jesus says, okay, I've been telling you who I am, but let me tell you again. And this is where we see Jesus. He says a number of things about who he is, and we see his identity. And so first here we see of his identity, we see he will die for sinners. He will be lifted up, is what he says here. Just like the suffering servant of Isaiah 43, because he is the suffering servant of Isaiah 43. Let me read a little bit before 53 or 53 there of Isaiah 53, of Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely, he shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted as many. We're astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. And so Jesus is setting before them and before us You will die in your sins if you don't believe. And he is saying that here I am as the only offering for sin. So let me say that again. You heard all the warning. Jesus is calling you to him. He is the only offering for sin. The only one who can bring you to God. And so this, this amplifies his warning and it amplifies the seriousness of rejecting Jesus, of rejecting the Son of God. He came for sinners. He came for you and me. So D.L. Moody, famous kind of preacher, 1800s, he once preached at a prison in so after he preached, he went afterward to go and visit you know, the various prisoners along the way. And as he went about talking to them, he went to each prisoner and kind of just asked them the same question over and over again. And, and so he asked them, so what, what brought you here? Or, you know, why, why are you here? And so each one, you know, they had various replies to his question. You know, some said, well, I don't deserve to be here. And others, they said a bit differently, you know, I was framed. Or others still, they said, I was falsely accused. And then others still, you know, I was, I was given an unfair trial. And so each one he came to, he came and asked that question, and each one would not admit their guilt. And then, as, he, as Moody continued, he came to a man who was, you know, just broken, Man just undone and, and weeping into his hands. And so Moody, he, he goes to this man and he says, you know, What's wrong, my friend? And the prisoner, you know, tears coming down his eyes, you know, says, My sins are more than I can bear. And Moody says, All right, this is someone who's ready for the gospel. And he went on and shared the gospel with a man and he came to faith in Christ. 
so also for the sins that we bear. There needs to be a somberness, the reality of the fact that this is a warning, that there are sins on us, on you, outside of Christ. And it's not Jesus who bears them right now. If you don't know him, it is you who bear them. Well, he came that you may bear them no more. He died for sins. He died for sinners. And so Jesus, he continues here, telling us more of his identity. Then you will know. Then you will know. So if they knew Jesus then, so let's say that some of them saw the cross and they came to him. It was because of the cross that they would come to him. This is kind of the emphasis here. That then you will know that I am he. That if you do, it's because of the cross, me being lifted up. He will recognize who I am and believe. But if not, it also means that they will know on that day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. So either way, you will know. So you will know one day no matter who you are, that this is the Christ, the Son of a living God. And you may well think that you are fine you know, in your atheism. You are fine in your agnosticism. You are fine in Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism or something else. But he is saying, you also will know on that day, I am he. And that is not, it's not meant to, it's not like me just saying, ha, gotcha, punch in the face. That's not what this is about. This is, this is a warning for you that he can save you as well. And he can save you as well right now because all those things I listed and more will not bring you to God. It is only Christ and Christ alone. And there is no other. And so you see, this is him who pleased God in every way. The Father is with him, unlike anyone and everyone else. He does all that the Father wills. He's wholly pleasing to God. He never failed to please him. He never sinned. He never misstepped. He never spoke falsely. He never lied. He never did any wrong, not even one. So what is to be then, in view of all this, his identity and all these things, what is to be our response to all of this? Glory in his all-sufficient sacrifice. Glory in his all-sufficient sacrifice. If you know him this morning, his sacrifice is sufficient for you. He doesn't miss even one sin. There is no past sin that's unaccounted for. There is no present sin that is unaccounted for. And there is no future sin that is unaccounted for. 
It is all sufficient. So if you are in Christ Jesus, you, before God Himself has declared, not guilty. Period. So not guilty, and not just that, but He looks at you, and even now He sees and has declared over you, righteous. You are a child of God. You know, this past week, one of our children got in trouble and, you know, she, of course, went to her room and she was crying and, and, uh, and everything. And, and so I came to her and I remember, you know, just looking at her and simply, you know, sitting on her bed there. And I could tell that, you know, she just, she just needed to know, even though she did something wrong, that she was still loved and dear to us. And so I scooped her up and, and I told her, you know, I love you and there is nothing that you can do that would change that. You are my child and I am your father. I know you did something wrong, but that does not make you any less my daughter or any less loved. Well, in Christ, you are His his all-sufficient sacrifice is sufficient for all of your sins. And you, if you know him this morning, you are his child. Amen. You are his child. So all of your failures and sins and guilt in Christ have been forgiven. So our response then is to glory in Him this morning. To glory in Christ this morning and His sacrifice. And if you don't know Him this morning, take heed to His warning. You've heard it and seek Jesus now. His sacrifice is all-sufficient, and it can be all-sufficient for you. And if you do know Christ this morning, glory and glory today, tomorrow, and every day in Him who was lifted up for you. Let's pray together. Father, we come, we glory in Christ this morning. We glory in mercy. We glory in grace. We glory in you, O God. If if we know you this morning, we are your children and you are our Father. So may we look to Christ as our Savior and only Savior every day that as other supposed little saviors come, we would not ever be moved from our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the lone and the only Savior. And so we pray, help our hearts be steadfast in Him. May we not give our hearts to idols or false things, false anything. May you help us, Lord. 
We pray for anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, that you would lead them to you and help them even now to see their dire need for Jesus. That they would see all they need to do is come to him by faith and believe and trust in Christ as the only Savior who died on the cross for them and their sins. And turn to him with all they are, giving him their life, turning from their sins and self and giving themselves to him. And so we pray you would lead them even now in that. We pray that for all of us that we would respond this morning as you would lead us. May you help us. May you deal with us, Lord. Expose our hearts and show us anything that we may be all yours. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.